0: It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talkin' Ag Lane Nordland for today's LaneCast.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to more Agriculture Conversations on the LaneCast Ag Podcast in partnership with, of course, the Western Ag Network. I'm Lane Nordland, happy to be with you here today. And A question that I'm asking and so many people are asking is, what in the weather what what is going on out there and uh i thought it appropriate to have one of my buddies that understands the weather forecast the weather Jason that's a pretty laird. lofty
0: that's a pretty lofty statement i don't know that anybody really <laughs> understands the weather you know and i always equate meteorologists to um stock brokers, right they're generally the last ones to know what the market is going to do yeah yeah it's kind of the same thing with weather forecasters i think but
1: <laughs> well again the one and only meteorologist jason laird joins us and uh, uh jason uh, so many producers uh I mean, we're, we're laughing about this, but this weather has been absolutely crazy from what right. a forecast would be for early 2023 from at the end of last year into this year. I mean, we truly had a, a calf killer blizzard here this right. week, hit Montana, Wyoming, so many parts of, uh, of our coverage range. And then we also have so many producers uh, that are really needing to get into the field to plant some spring crops. Uh, but but I guess before we jump into this to maybe really dive into the weather situation, uh, to, just share a little bit about yourself and, 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 and how you actually do really uh, specialize in forecasting for uh, farmers and ranchers as
0: well yeah definitely so my career started oh gosh i think a hundred years ago uh in billings montana i started in in weather there uh, it was kind of one of those things where i've always been interested in in weather but never really looked at it as a job and so i migrated from radio to television and uh, kind of fell into weather and I've been doing it since. So I've been doing TV and radio weather for about 13 years off and on, um, about eight of which has been just dedicated to to weather forecasting. So it's been a part of my life for, for quite some time. And then to kind of extend on that, uh, not only is my background in radio and TV weather, also with my day-to-day job, I work at the Montana Wheat and Barley Committee and I my main job is, is marketing and communications there. But you know, as we're bringing in trade teams throughout the summer and whatnot, all of them want crop updates and weather updates, right? You know, they're watching the weather patterns just as much as the producers out in the field. So that's a really big part of my job on a day-to-day level as well, not only doing the, you know, uh, broadcast aspect of things, but also just the crop reports and the weather updates for the various trade teams coming into Montana for wheat and barley. Well,
1: and again, I, I think the guys that were able to scratch that winter wheat in last fall, I mean, the the emergence looks really good here around where where I live. uh, Charlie Bumgarner, uh, one of your board members uh, with Wheat and Barley Committee. Is he still on Wheat and Barley Committee? He is. Yep. Charlie's still yep. with us. So Charlie leases farm ground around, uh, around us. And, and they, they were able to, to scratch that crop in last year. And then it rained and snowed a bunch <laughs> and, and really good. got, got a good start. And so I know guys that want to get spring wheat and, and all the other crops in the ground, they're itching. And, uh, you know, for me, I want my hay pasture and my grassland right. to grow out, out, out there too. So I, I guess at this point, you know, we both BS for a living. I, I joke this. I, I'm a farm broadcaster, so I can talk to pay for my cows. There's a lot of truth in that. <laughs> but, but Jason, you know, I'll, I just myself and so many other people just want to know what day to day what's going on. I mean, I, I saw the weather forecast last week and it really, in my mind, didn't have that much in terms of, uh what we're going to be looking at here this week with, I, I'd say I got a foot of snow here or slush. Right, right. My dad had about two feet of snow over in Lewistown. My mm-hmm. in-laws had more just east of us in Belt. Uh, but I guess wh- how, what are we looking at here for the next few weeks is folks want to get planning done. They want to get uh, uh, branding done. And, you know, not just Montana, but across the West. And we got El Nino concerns as well right. uh, because we just wrapped up La Nina. Um, I just, uh, sometimes I just think all you forecasters are full of shit sometimes. (laughs) But uh, like I said, we're kind of like stockbrokers, you know, (laughs) uh, at least as a farm broadcaster, I'm just sharing what the futures are doing. I I can't. I I can't predict them, but uh, I guess, Bud, what 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 is what are your thoughts on the weather here this spring?
0: Yeah, you bet. I think to start off, be careful what you ask for, because I know that everybody is chomping at the bit to get into the field, and uh, it looks like that's going to be a pretty strong reality here over the next couple of weeks. But um, yeah, what we're going to kind of chat about here is just some of the main key elements that are going to be playing into into the summer. So we'll kind of look at just, you know, how things are right now. Again, those major influencers. And uh, at best, we got 50-50 chance of everything. So, you know, let that sink in for a minute, I guess, right? Um, So obviously, well, I can't spell... Looks like can't spell April there very well, but uh, anywho, we're (laughs) um, so as we look at the drought, you know, just to kind of compare things, you know, to last year compared to this year. I mean, last year we were hurting as we went into spring planting. I mean, a lot of folks were seeding into absolutely no moisture in that topsoil category. I know I spent a lot of time up at Haver at the research center there, and I mean, it was bone dry, you know, coming off of off of 21 there and everything. So, uh, you know, we're sitting better than we were last year as you know there's still a little bit of droughts up in the Northeastern Montana but really for the most part you know things are kind of starting to to improve so really there's there's three main elements Lane that we're going to talk about today Uh, as you just mentioned you know La Nina versus El Nino what the heck do they mean one of the things that I I hear this all the time at conferences you've probably heard it as well where oh you know La Nina meant dry so El Nino is going to mean wet and you know lush crops everywhere that's not necessarily the case. El Nino can be just as detrimental and, and just as dry as La Nina. The take-home message with weather is really you don't want any major influencers when it comes to your weather forecast. So like as of recent, it's like somebody put the atmosphere on X-Lax. All all right? Everything is flowing. Everything is moving. And that's what you really, really want. So when you start throwing these major influencers in there, it kind of starts to kink things up, right? Uh, it, it it really starts to block things and cause those weather elements to act differently. So kind of the first one we're going to start off with, uh, again, is El Nino. What is what is it all about? And whoops, as I clicked through a little bit too many, and what is it What is it going to mean? So ultimately, just to give you an idea of what it is, it's a reoccurring weather pattern that changes the temperatures of the water uh, out in the ocean again. And believe it or not, we're only dealing with a couple of degrees here, like one to three degrees, and that throws everything off. You know, it, it's one of those take-home things that, You don't really think about until you uh, until you look at it. So as for those El Nino versus La Nina, just this is an overly simplified graphic. You see it everywhere, and it kind of drives me nuts because everybody's like, "Oh, La Nina means this, and El Nino means this." That's not at all the case. Again, we're we're going to be talking about the three main influencers this summer. So really, I mean, generally speaking, you're always going to get that area of low pressure off of the coast with El Nino, which is kind of what we're seeing right now. We've had these big troughs moving in off of the coast, and that's what's sucking that moisture up. They call it like a monsoonal flow. That's why California has just been getting absolutely hammered in that transition from El Nino to La Nina. So when we just start off at again another overly simplified graphic this is your sea surface temperatures you're going to notice today i'm going to talk a lot about sea surface temperatures i'm i'm by no means a climatologist you know i study weather for a living but but climatologists look very very heavily at sea surface temperatures okay so again obviously warmer around the equator colder the further north or south you get as we start to break that down a little bit further okay so this is last year all right Last year, this blue you're seeing in the middle, that was the very, very strong La Nina. So all La Nina is basically telling us is cold, cold water there uh, moving along the equator, okay? And that's what caused our main weather pattern last year. The other thing I want you to kind of notice is up here. See that little kind of pocket of cold, cold water? That was our saving grace early last year. All right. We're going to talk about this element as well, but it's called the PDO, the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. And it's just another area of ocean temperatures that influence our weather very, very heavily. So you can because see
1: we had good moisture up until we did. the end of we June did. last year.
0: Exactly. And that really boiled down to La Nina aside, the PDO, which we're going to kind of break down and talk about. But that's why I want to direct your attention again. So last year, about this time, we had a little bit of cold water there lot of cold water along the equator, okay? So again, that is a full-blown La Nina, no ifs, ands, or buts. As we head to this year, you can see that cold water along the equator, it's faded. Warm water is replacing it. That is El Nino, okay? But I also want you to notice off of that North Pacific, we've got a pretty decent chunk of cold water there, okay? That is a big reason why we're seeing the weather we're seeing right now is because what happens is you get that cold water right there, it causes low pressure development, troughs. You hear a lot of troughs and low pressure and everything like that. Long story short, it causes storms to spin up off of the coast. Those storms drag moisture and allow cold air from Canada to move down over the United States. That's basically what the PDO is doing. I mean, it's very, very oversimplified, um, but that's kind of the basic thing. The other thing I like to highlight with El Nino and La Nina, it cycles. You know, I mean, no matter how, what you think about, you know, the weather changing or whatever, at the end of the day, it cycles. And when you go back in history, you know, the best crop years we have here in Montana are usually right on a transition year. Okay. When you don't really have a strong La Nina, you don't really have a strong uh, El Nino. You're kind of in those neutral stages. Because as I mentioned, that's your best friend in terms of weather movement over Montana is no major influencers with the forecast so we've been in that La Nina we're spiking really really hard into El Nino to give you an idea of what we're looking at so again these are forecast models they call this a plume forecast whole bunch of different computers just trying to figure out what in the world it's going to do all of them are trending toward a very 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 strong El Nino as we head into summer so we're looking down here June July August July August September so really I mean as we sit right here January February March into March April May everything's trending toward toward La Nina right now, according to the, uh, the models. I always like to throw a human element into this as well. Um, <clears throat> so the CPC, this is the National Weather Service. This is the human forecast on the right. This is the computer driven forecast. So the human forecast, forecasters are actually looking at all those models and kind of adjusting accordingly, if that makes sense. And you'll notice there is a little bit of difference here. Uh, the human forecast had us quite stronger uh, into the neutral stages. That's not what we're seeing right now. It is moving to El Nino very, very quickly. So honestly, the computer models have been a little bit more accurate as we head through spring here, but uh, not a lot of difference between these two. But what we do know and what everything seems to be trending with is neutral stages fades and El Nino takes over. Simple as that. Uh, Some of the other forecast models, I always like to compare the United States to other meteorological offices around the world. Uh, So again, we're looking back last year, 2022. Uh, that's what these models are here. So again, you'll notice in the month of April, everybody was trending that we were going to stay in La Nina. There was a lot of hope last year that we were going to sit into new or uh, transition into neutral stages. That didn't happen. NOAA here in the United States was the only forecast office in the United or uh, in the world forecasting strong La Nina throughout the summer last year. They knocked it out of the park. Nobody else did, which is not always the case. As we head to this year, everybody's pretty on par. So April 2023, everybody was pretty on par with us being into those neutral stages, starting to trend into El Nino. And everybody right now seems to be trending, especially um, this one is Australia up top here, really pushing hard into El Nino. Uh, The other influencer that I want to talk about, any questions, I guess, Lane, that you have just on El Nino
1: well, I, I just want to know maybe more because obviously Australia, Asia, and Argentina really mm-hmm. drive the, the global grain markets. You bet. Uh, I was down in Argentina just uh, under a year ago and got to see their drought firsthand and, and the impact it was having on their corn crop, on their you wheat bet. crop. I have some friends coming up from Argentina in a few weeks as well. to look at some Angus cattle up here, so it'll be interesting right. to, to hear their perspective. But our Argentina and Australia are... Always big drivers in terms of the U.S. wheat market and the global wheat market. Uh, uh, how how is El Nino going to impact uh, that uh, those drought conditions and crop conditions in, in those necks of the wood,
0: in that neck of the woods? You bet, yeah. And I'm glad I, I almost just skipped over this graphic, so I'm I'm glad that you brought it up. This graphic I got again very oversimplified, but you are going to be looking at drier conditions down into into Argentina, kind of a strip of dry through you know parts of Australia, but really, I mean. It, it really those key key players, as you just mentioned, are going to continue to see some pretty dry areas. And, and you'll notice, especially in the United States, how it's kind of been verified where we've seen that majority of the moisture moving up. Now, I won't say that that monsoonal moisture has moved over into the Midwest quite as much as a lot of, you know, Kansas and Nebraska folks have hoped. But the coast is still seeing that that moisture. So the short answer is just like La Nina, it can really, really cause some significant drought down into Argentina and, and uh, Australia as well.
1: Well, again, a lot of a lot of concerns for both crop producers and cattle producers. And uh, obviously the drought that we've seen for several years across the northern plains and and, and the majority of the West uh, impacting the size of the U.S. cattle herd. Uh, I I know we'll touch maybe on how how the weather could could shape up and impact the rebuilding of the herd. But uh, I'll I'll let you keep uh, keep sharing this information.
0: Yeah, no, you bet. So this next one is is. This is a weather element that it was a little bit newer to me. I remember learning it in meteorology school, but I didn't really ever give it a lot of, a lot of thought. And what this, this is called is the quasi-biennial oscillation. It's basically upper-level winds over the equator. Okay, So you have a positive phase, which is westerly winds. So that's generally what we see in the United States is kind of a westerly flow. Uh, negative is more easterly. You might be thinking to yourself, "Well, everything is moving, you know, west to east. What do you mean easterly?" And what's interesting about this, and I can't remember the volcanic eruption, but it was actually a volcanic eruption that uh, developed this theory. Eruption goes up, and all of a sudden, the the top end of that volcanic plume was going the wrong way. <laughs> so that's when scientists started studying this thing. It, it phases out anywhere from like 28 to 29 months. On average right okay but anyways it's upper level winds located in the stratosphere right along the the equator so to kind of give you an idea of what we're talking about here it's right about in this area okay it's not a huge huge influencer but what it does tend to do for us is again it helps to keep things moving it really keeps things from blocking up you know when we had the La Nina over the past couple of uh, years we've seen strong high-pressure blocking right over the north pacific and that basically causes all that stuff to either go over us or under us because we've got that big ridge of high pressure camped out so the graphics we're looking at here is just some of the again very oversimplified impacts of the the qbo temperature wise generally it's going to keep us a little bit cooler there and again this is uh yeah this would be the negative or positive i'm sorry so this would be like the positive phase um as we look toward the percent uh precipitation in the positive phase generally you know you i don't totally buy this you know usually you're going to get a little bit better moisture flow off of the coast again because those winds are westerly you don't have anything that's trying to you know train wreck or back everything up there off of the coast so it's it's one of the main influencers that we're going to be dealing with that we haven't had over the last couple of years right um any questions with qbo that one's kind of a short and sweet little Mm -hmm little entity there. Uh the big one, all right? This one arguably is is the biggest influencer outside of El Nino and La Nina, and that is the Pacific Decadal Oscillation or the PDO, okay? All that is is ocean temperatures and the circulation off of the North Pacific, okay? So in a positive phase, you've got warm water off of the Pacific coast, again, America's right there. In a negative phase, you have sea surface temperatures that are much cooler. All right? So here's where we start to get into how things are playing out, all right? So I pulled this, uh, the last sea surface temperature one we had was just a couple of, uh, last graphic, I should say, was just a couple of days ago. We've got some some pretty significant cold water off of the coast. So to start to combine all these elements, we have El Nino going on right now, which again causes a bit of a monsoonal flow for us. We've got a Q, uh, quasi-biennial oscillation that's switched to more of a westerly flow, and We've got the cold water off the Pacific. So, really, we've got all the uh, weather elements playing in our favor for cool and wet right now. Okay. That's not necessarily how it's going to play out for the rest of the summer, but that's how we're looking right now. So, again, you'll notice those sea surface temperatures much, much cooler off of the coast there. All right. So, really, as we start to combine all those things to to give you a short and sweet answer, and I know we'll have questions and, and go back to it. My personal thoughts when we take these three elements and put them together, I think we're going to be very, very similar to last year. Now, let me preface by saying I think there's going to be more extremes than last year. We're going to see more intense, and in all fairness, I put this presentation together before we had this recent snow. So 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 far, I've been somewhat right, but I think we're going to see more intense early season moisture and cold, which so far we have, and and I really feel that we're going to see hotter and more intense heat this summer. Uh, combining all these elements, because going back to that PDO, it's acting just like it did last year. The reason we shifted so, so quick late summer was because we lost that cold water off of the North Pacific. As soon as that cold water went away, we started to get the high-pressure ridge developing off of the coast, and it got hot and dry Fast last fall, which wasn't all that bad, because again, it was right during harvest. So we want everything to turn. We want to be able to get the tractors out in the field and not worry about you know things going south out out in the field and whatnot. But um, it's acting very very similar. So right here, this PDO, this is the one thing that you could really really watch going into summer. If we hang on to the cold water. It's going to be a pretty cool summer for us. It's not going to be overly intense. But if we lose this cold water, which I'm anticipating we are, because again, it's acting very, very similar to last year, uh, we're going to get hot and we're going to get hot fast. Uh, So again, my anticipation is, yes, we're going to have that early season moisture. So your winter wheat crop is going to be looking great. Uh, Cattle might be a little bit different story for those who are still calving and whatnot, as you mentioned. But I really think that we're probably going to get hot and and have a pretty intense uh, heat summer. Uh, if that makes sense, once you combine those elements. Well, I guess, as you mentioned, cool and wet
1: here for, for the foreseeable future. But what so many people are concerned with, of course, is getting a little bit of warmth for these grasses to grow, right. for the grains <clears throat> to take off. Uh, can you put a timeline on on what that weather, the cool... Effect. How long that's going to be in, and is it going to be like last year when once July first, once we celebrate my birthday and Canada Day on July first, is it just going to get hot and not rain and just stay in the high nineties into the hundred degree weather? That that's 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 what's on my mind right now.
0: Right. chance. No, um, I really think that we're going to start to see that heat building in as early as the end of next week. There's one more little trough as of today. There's one more little trough that uh, is trying to move in off of the coast, which is going to potentially bring a little bout of moisture early next week. I don't think it's going to be overly intense. And right now, models are all starting to trend warmer and drier toward the end of next week. So, you know, especially in the wheat and barley world, it does put us – behind, but we're not necessarily quote unquote late yet. Now, if we push that out one more week, then we, you know, start getting a little bit concerned and whatnot. Uh, but right now that's seems to be how it's trending.
1: Well, it's going to be an interesting time watching what exactly this weather does, but Jason, hold on. We're going to take a quick commercial break, but we'll be back right after this. Are you concerned about the impact government policies could have on your cattle business? One way to make your voice heard in Washington is by joining NCBA. When you join, you'll be part of the nation's oldest and largest national cattle industry organization that has a professional team working in Washington, D.C. on issues that matter to cattle-producing families nationwide. Don't stay on the sidelines. Make your voice heard by joining NCBA today at the website ncba.org. Well, it's such a, a a curse almost too, especially <laughs> for the livestock end of things. I've right. talked to producers that rely on reservoir water out on the on the, in their pastures, and all, all the reservoirs are full. But again, just something we've all been faced with for four or five years now is buying really expensive hay. Right. Um, do you think there's a chance that the, the hay crops will get put up on, on dried land in time for, for this grass to grow? I, I know you're not an agronomist or a health it. expert, but yeah. th- that's what so many people have been faced with is just the cost of hay. And you bet. if it's going to get hot, you know, are the grasshoppers come in, uh, these right. are just questions that so many people are asking, including myself.
0: Yeah, no, you bet. I really think that that first cut is going to be fine. You know, I mean, it might be a little bit stressed late into the season, but, um, I mean, and I, re- I really hope I'm wrong. I really hope that we hang on to that cold water off of the North Pacific and it doesn't act like last year. Because then, if we hang on to that cold water, it's going to be a really good growing season. Almost, it might be a little bit borderline cool growing season. Uh, but we're still going to keep that keep that moisture. So, much like winter wheat, I think that those early crops are going to be fine. So, like that first cut of hay, I think you're going to be okay. But, you know, doubling up and getting a second crop in, <laughs> that's going to be a little bit a little bit more of a gamble. Um that's kind of my personal thought and what was the other half of that question i totally spaced
1: um, oh i i don't even remember now I, i'm just so concerned about putting up a hay crop and, <laughs> yeah. and and i guess on that on the heat rolling in like you said right. uh uh that it starts to dry up but uh our reforecasting the, the high 90s through a hundred the hundred degree area like we were last year and oh yep. grasshoppers is kind oh, of what yeah I, that's right yeah. Grasshoppers. I mean, obviously this uh, there's theories that this cold weather maybe has knocked off the grasshoppers. What, what are you hearing out when you're traveling with, within the ag community on the grasshopper front?
0: Right. The biggest thing with grasshoppers is sustained cold. So again, the the You know, from everything I've learned with with grasshoppers, you want frigid temperatures for a long amount of time, which we did get a little bit of of that this last winter. So I don't anticipate that the grasshopper pressure will be as bad as last year, given that cold. But again, a lot of it's going to depend on that heat. If we do get hot in late season, I mean, those little buggers seem to regenerate quicker than bunnies, you know, so Mm -hmm. uh, that's the biggest concern. So again, I'm not really giving you a straight answer on it, but I don't think we're going to see the pressure that we did last year because we did actually get a decent winter in Montana and we haven't had a decent winter in a while now so that really does help and then again these late season snowstorms as big of a pain as they are uh, especially like tonight I think in Great Falls I saw you know we're supposed to drop to like 20. That's fantastic because a lot of these bugs are still you know we had a day just in the 70s 75 pushing 80 the other day those bugs start to try to move around and do things I see it out here with the wasps just living in town the wasps you can't say that fast wasps start to uh, (laughs) come out but then again you get that snap and it kills them and that's really kind of what you want is sustained cold uh knocking off a lot of those those bugs and then again those late season cold snaps are not necessarily a bad thing in terms of in terms of bugs so i don't think we're going to see the pressure we saw last year factoring in the weather but again a lot of it is going to depend on how hot we get and how quick we we see that heat move in
1: and uh, how long is the snowpack going to last across the the west uh, in the intermountain yep. states just because obviously we we have good snowpack mm-hmm. but you know once it starts to heat up uh, i think we're going to be seeing right. the, these creeks and and rivers just roaring here soon but uh how how On a positive side of that, how long do you think that snowpack can last in terms of keeping water coming down our creeks?
0: Yeah, so again, it's going to go back to that PDO, right? If we continue to see the storms moving in off the coast, you're going to hang on to it because, again, those overnight lows are going to settle down and the snow is going to, you know, kind of not necessarily refreeze but stay a little bit more stable. Um, So I think that we're going to hang on to the snowpack a little bit longer than last year, but I do feel... If those hotter temperatures move in that I'm anticipating, it's going to melt very, very quickly. And then the other thing you got to factor in and keep an eye on, too, is uh, how intense the storms are that move through the area, right? You know, one of the biggest concerns being an operational meteorologist that I am, which is kind of more day-to-day warning coordination, that sort of thing, is thunderstorms. You get a thunderstorm over the mountains, it may not even be that warm, But you get that rain on top of snow and you get rapid melt so you might see a decent area with some pretty substantial snowpack but you throw those wicked storms on top of it and it melts incredibly fast and we've kind of seen that the last couple of days around gray falls with this slushy nastiness is Mm -hmm. you know you get rain on top of it and it's gone you know and you literally have slush chunks rolling down the hill so again not a straight answer i think that you know we'll probably hang on to the coal uh the snowpack a little bit longer just given The weather elements that are playing into our favor, but it all is going to boil down to how quickly that cold water dissipates, if it does, off of the North Pacific.
1: And obviously, we're still in drought.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. I
1: I think uh, uh, especially people that uh, aren't in agriculture or depend on growing livestock and crops off the land. You'd think after this winter, oh, we're out of the drought, we're good to go. Well, right. not not necessarily. I mean, you still look at the drought monitor. Let me pull that back up there. Uh, oh yeah, up. no, you bet. You but bet. I mean, when you look at that, we are still in severe drought. Is it severe? I, I is it severe to uh, abnormal? What? what yeah, what we're still up, up in the northeastern
0: there? Montana where you're seeing that little orange streak. That is still considered uh, severe, uh, most of the areas though, the area I'm really fortunate to see some improvement in those into the golden triangle, North central Montana. Cause I, I was just up in Haver last week and there actually is some moisture in the soil. <laughs> it's nice to see, but it really paints a picture of just how bad the drought was. And, you know, a lot of folks, I get it all the time. Like, oh, well, we had a lot of snow. Well, first of all, you know, on average, you know, 10 inches of snow might be one inch of water right? If you're lucky and you need substantial above average snowpack and, and continued snowpack for it to matter because, you know, all throughout the winter, our ground's frozen. None of that moisture can actually soak in. So you could get, you know, 30 feet of snow. It's not going to do you a whole heck of a lot of good right now is again, big of a pain in the butt as they are these late season, snows and rains are the best thing in the world for us because the ground has thawed it can actually start to absorb that moisture and get our surplus uh surpluses back up in both the topsoil and the subsoil category so yeah we're we're still in drought and uh you know i i don't know that it's going to continue to improve much more especially if things trend the way i'm thinking they're going to trend which is not necessarily good news i know that's not what everybody wants to hear but um yeah, it's, it's definitely improved over last year, at least heading into the first part of the growing season.
1: Well, and again, so many in the cattle sector, um, you know, we we saw record prices due to that drought that was right. uh, in the uh, 2012, 13, 14 area, especially that herd reduction in the south and the southwest. But I, I don't think we're going to see. Uh, the herd rebuilding quite as fast this is just this isn't me trying to be an expert or anything right but just i i don't think we're going to recover drought wise uh, across the the west and the midwest and and in and, and the west coast southwest all those areas right. quite like we did in those areas and, and cattle producers we can rebuild the u.s cattle herd really really fast right <laughs> and thus the prices drop off too i i just my gut feeling is is just with these dry conditions and uh, I know guys are, are bullish on what this market is doing because the prices are outstanding. Well, for sure, it's because we have a lower, U uh, S total herd size. Right. Well, right. I just, uh, my, my, gut feeling is, uh, is still going to be, people are still going to be buying hay. Um, uh, cause we're not going to be able to put it all up. And I don't right. think guys are going to be maybe retaining heifers quite as much. I hope I'm wrong, totally. but that, that I just think from a conservative aspect of trying to keep our herd together, that right. that's what I'm seeing.
0: Well, and recovery takes time, you know, and and I think you're hitting the nail on the head. I mean, you know, not being a huge cattle guy, I I have to agree with you on that because, you know, going back to the hay element, I don't think that that first crop is going to be bad by any means, but it's just like the drought. It takes ample surplus. It takes years to rebuild that. That's not a, you know, a one-year thing. As dry as we were last year and the year prior, I mean, it takes some serious time to get things back up to par, and I would anticipate, you know, cattle are going to be the same exact thing.
1: Well, Jason, I I appreciate you taking some time here today. You bet. And and what the weather. I I think that's a pretty good little slogan for (laughs) us here this week. Right. Uh, for, for our folks that are that are viewing this on our uh, uh, streaming platforms or uh, listening the, to the audio on our podcast platform uh, where can they follow you for your 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 forecasts and just uh your, your weather updates yeah find so
0: um, most of my stuff is coming out when I get a chance to do weather updates I'm putting that on the Montana wheat and barley website so montanawbc.com try to do weather updates on there sometimes the weather updates aren't just titled as weather updates uh, they'll be integrated into some of the usda crop reports and things like that and just feel free to reach out you know i mean if there's anything uh you'd like to see you can also find just uh my contact information jasonlayerproductions.com uh but probably the best place to get the agricultural aspect of weather is again on our website montanawbc.com
1: well, again, Jason Laird, meteorologist, joining us here today and, and talking about uh, what we can expect here in the short term. And, and hopefully, hopefully we can keep that moisture coming and have you some bet. sunny days for my little tiny hayfield out here to try right? to put up some idiot cubes here in a, in, in a few months. But <laughs> uh, hey, any last thoughts, Jason, before I let you get back to your day?
0: No, I think that kind of sums it up again uh, this summer. Keep an eye on ocean temperatures. That's what I always tell folks every year is, especially that, that uh, North Pacific area. Keep an eye on the Pacific uh, temperatures. The colder we stay there, the better it is for Montana.
1: Well, let's hope they have to put a parka or a coat on every time they go outside up in that neck of the woods, because <laughs> I want those colder temperatures and that moisture coming our way. But uh, many thanks to our friend Jason Laird for joining us here today on another Agriculture Conversation on the Lancaster Ag Podcast. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Appreciate the time. Thank you. That will do it for today. Until next time, I'm Lane Northland.
0: Thank you for tuning into the Lanecast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and nordlandcommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Lanecast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the Lanecast.